Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite to Queen's Practical Wisdoms in Sales podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and we have a great discussion in store for you today. I'm really excited. It's on unlocking innovative tech sales. Uh, joining me today is our special guest, Dennis Sullivan. Dennis is a relationship ninja who leads from the heart to build strong relationships with customers, stakeholders, peers, and technology partners. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Lynn, for that kind introduction. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah. And for full disclosure, this is so funny. Dennis and I worked together years ago, and we met a few months ago, re-met after this big gap um, at an event. So it was so great. And as soon as we saw each other and we just started talking, picked up where we had left off. So let's get right into it because, you know, Dennis, you've had such great success in sales for so many years. And what's really surprising is it's across such a diverse range of industries. Um, can you give us your 30,000 foot level uh, of how the sales profession has changed over time? You bet, Lynn. Thank you again for the invite. And it was wonderful to reminisce a little bit before we started today on our, our career paths together. So let me say first at the outset, as it relates to your audience, I firmly believe there's never been a better time for women to perform at high levels in sales, um, in the sales profession. In my own experience, um, I've seen some of the most successful peers in business have been women across the companies that I've worked for. And I've been fortunate enough to work for three Fortune 500 companies. So I've seen a lot of women go through the sales ranks and the sales leadership and move on to C-levels in organizations. And I think the tide has changed for more women to be successful in sales. So I'm excited to share with your listeners just some of my own perspectives and what I've encountered over my years. And I'm looking forward to a, an engaging conversation today. Um, in relation to your question about how things have changed over time, I think for me, the first and most dramatic change has been the impact of technology on the sales profession. Um, customers today are more educated than ever on what they need and the, the companies they want to do business with. And the fact that we can have so much content about who we are and what our company represents online, they know more about us oftentimes than they ever have before we ever make that first call. And so it really helps us as sellers think about how we present ourselves online um, before we make that first call, before we reach out to that prospect. And so um, for me, one of the big takeaways and one of the big impacts on my sales career has been personal branding on LinkedIn and how you position yourself to the audience that you're trying to serve. Um, as your mother always said, you never have a second chance to make a first impression. And I think that's even more pronounced now with the advent of LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, on how you present yourself to the workplace and to those potential customers. Um, and then secondly, I think just that the attitudes about women in sales has changed. When I started my career back about the time we started, there were very few women in sales. And I can think of maybe three women across a half a dozen companies that I worked for in the sales teams. There just weren't that many women. And I think the tide has changed where more women see themselves as being successful, have moved into different industries and are, are excelling at high levels in the sales profession. And I think that's a very rewarding experience. I've had a couple of mentors in my life that have been females that I have really learned a ton from because they bring a different perspective to business. And oftentimes I think they have a better opportunity in sales because of their more natural ability to build relationships with people, build trust, and they don't have the ego component that a lot of guys do, I find, <laughs> in my own experience in the sales profession. So I'm a big advocate um, for and a cheerleader for women in sales. Um, 
So I really think that the, the advent of technology and the fact that the landscape has changed with women in sales. And I think one last thing is that the attitudes about what it takes to be successful in sales have changed. When I started, it was all about being aggressive and assertive and extroverted, oftentimes male dominated characteristics. In fact, most of the successful people that I know they're in sales are not any of those things. They're introverted, they tend to be more reserved, but what they are really good at is listening to customers, empathizing with customers, building and developing a rapport and a relationship, and that moves the dial and makes sales happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key things I've always found is the desire to help others. And if you want to help others, sales is a phenomenal career to have because you get the opportunity to help your customers mm -hmm. and for whatever it is, you know, that they, they need. So, um, you know, talking about that in this broad sales experience in the diverse industries, um, which is really an appealing component because one thing about sales is that you can literally change your path once you learn the core sales skills and move to another industry. Um, how's your sales approach been unique in the tech field? And especially with the what we've just been talking about, this accelerated process for change. Yeah, good question. I think uh, my approach to sales has changed over the years and it's evolved. When I first got into sales and started learning about sales process, it was all about me, my product, my solution. It was me, me, me focused. And it was through the power of persuasion that we would convince somebody to buy it through features and benefits, right? And you, you smile and you laugh because you were taught the same thing that I was taught back then, right? Now, it's switched 180 degrees, especially in a highly technically evolved world where people are so educated about what their, their products do. Um, it's all about the, putting the customer at the center of that equation and serving them, like you said, solving problems, empathizing with what it is that they need, and putting the relationship at the core of that um, value proposition. And so the way in which I sell has changed from being me focused to being other focused to how can I help solve that customer's business problems with whatever technology solution that I'm selling. And I have found that to be incredibly rewarding, A, but B, it's been clearer to the customers that I care more about their business than I do just about making a sale or making a commission. And that changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. I have turned down roles where you were supposed to just go in there and make a sales pitch, close the deal and move on, because I'm not wired like that. I don't like to sell like that. It's contrary to my, my core principles. And so I have found over the years, the more I put the customer at the beginning of that process that I was there to serve them and solve their problems. And you know what? couldn't solve problems all the time. Sometimes the best solution was to tell them to go to a competitor because they really had a better solution. In the long run, I oftentimes earned those customers back because they knew the integrity was there, that I didn't sell them something that wasn't gonna fit for them. And so that has changed my approach to how I sell and how I um, even look at the sales process now. Yeah, I, I think that is so true. And that relationship building it just like you and I, it all comes back around. It, it's a core foundation that you use. So talking about that, how do you leverage, um, you know, market data? I mean, that's a big thing with in tech and, and everyone's always talking about big data, but how do you use that to identify potential customers? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think the key to using the awareness of is using the right data um, to make your, your business assessments. We can be inundated by the sheer volume of data, especially in some of these larger companies. Um, and having the business intelligence to know what is meaningful and what is not and cutting through the clutter is really important. I have always found 
in many cases using the customer's own data or industry specific data is even more better than the data that whatever my, my employer may provide. An example of that is in one of my roles, I was selling into the healthcare sector and I was selling to healthcare executives, wireless technologies for remote care management. And I had read based on my research that in the case of home health nurses, they spend two to three hours a night going home after their shift is over visiting patients in order to log their activities uh, and really cutting into their personal time. Um, not only was it not very productive time, but it was it was cutting employee morale because they were having to do things after hours. Our solution helped provide a software-based solution which replaced a lot of the manual paper entry methods that they were doing. They could see more patients in a day. They could log their calls and their activity when it was fresh in their mind with the patient um, and end their shift on time, thereby cutting down overtime and improving employee morale. So that was a real example of where data provided by the industry segment I was serving could be supported on what I was selling and the ROI to them on implementing a better solution. Yeah. And so I find that kind of data is powerful. In the case of inbound sales or uh, company provided data, being able to identify prospects that have already expressed an interest in your product or service or have attended webinars or reviewed your content are really compelling um, data points to be able to ascertain who to call and where to spend your time because there's only so many selling hours in the day <laughs> and if you don't call the right people at the right time it's just you're spending your wills and so um, I in the case of one of my last roles I was selling into the oil and gas segment um, for uh, IOT services Internet of Things services and knowing that we had had some success in that industry allowed me to play up that knowledge and understand what those customer pain points were and then replicate that across other companies in that sector to get a quicker path to success. So having the data about what works and what's been successful in your own company can be used to leverage that and scale that with other like customers. So I found that to be better, very beneficial as well. Yeah, I think it. what you're saying is all comes down to the customer why, you know, so, you know, and their pain points. You know, why would this work for them? What are, what, what do they need, lack or want? And then how can you fill that? And I think the solution, certainly with the nurses, was brilliant because I've always found if I can capture whatever it is, even listening to this podcast, something right away and make a note of it um, and put it into my thought, it reinforces it, it makes mm -hmm. it stronger, and I'm going to have more retention. And so certainly in the case of nurses doing that kind of care, that's going to be critical data to be able to capture that live. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, it, it makes for a better patient experience too absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And so now here we are talking about this almost like a rapid improvement process um, going back to those six Sigma days, right? <laughs> so, um, so what type of processes do you use to implement like a rapid improvement process to really increase your pipeline? So, in the earlier days of sales, there wasn't really much of a process. It was make the calls, it was a sheer numbers game, and some of it was just dumb luck, and you'd run across the right customer <laughs> at the right time when they needed your service, right? Now I've determined over time, having done a lot of things wrong, that you need to have a sales process. So I have a sales process that's really other-centered, other, other -centered, as we talked about earlier, and that starts with engaging the customer to gain agreement, to even begin the consultative process with them. Um, secondly is to discover and that is really identifies what the customer needs are what are their decision drivers who are the decision makers in the whole process and what might they be looking at as alternatives to whatever it is that I'm selling um, third is to build value and really that starts before the first call is even made 
but building value up to and through the customer consultation so that you're really finding a solution that works for the customer and then building some emotional buy-in from them that that solution is going to work for them. And then advancing that sell down the path is that customer committing to your solution as being the optimum one and agreeing to move forward. So that's really kind of a, um, a one through four step process for me, but then tied in with that to move things along through the pipeline, I have a six step process that I use, which is really helps me qualify the quantity and the quality of the funnel that I have. In the early days of sales, I would be asked by my sales leadership, what's going to close this month? Or is this particular project going to close? And I'd say, yeah, I have about an 80% probability that this job is going to close, right? A lot of times that was just my gut or sticking my finger in the air and just thinking that I had a, a sense of it. And, and I had a, a sales professional years ago who was mentoring me say, Dennis, you need to understand what's the decision criteria, what's the decision process, and have a systematic way to kind of gauge moving that through the pipeline. And so... I took a, like you, I've had lots of sales training over the years. And several years ago, I took a sales training that was called the Trust Other Centered Selling Process. And it was really about establishing a process to identify the customer's needs and then move that through the pipeline. So the first, it steps with the idea phase and that's initial consultation with the customer to determine what their need is. Second is to define the customer's needs. Third is align it aligning your solution with their needs to make sure that you have what fits for them. Um, the next level of commitment is the customer committing to a course of action that they want to take. Maybe it's a pilot, maybe it's a proof of concept, maybe it's a commitment to move down a particular path uh, with your engineering team. And then the confirmation stage, which is that customer saying, okay, I've chosen this, this is where the direction we want to go, establishing a delivery date or a project plan, etc. And then the final level of commitment is that purchase order gets cut and the customer makes the, the buying commitment. As I look back over my funnel over the years, I've determined unless I've gone through those six stages, I haven't really fully developed the sale. And oftentimes I have to stop and say, you know what, I didn't go back and fully uncover the needs. I need to go back a couple of steps in the process because I have oftentimes been caught in the 11th hour having a piece of information I should have had earlier on had I done the proper process of evolving that customer through the process and really taking these systematic steps to make sure I had, a, a, you know, solved the customer's problem. So a lot of this has been trial and error over the years, but I've determined if you can follow a very simple, repeatable process, it makes it far better in the end. And you have a lot higher probability, not only of winning the business, but of being more accurate in your forecasting, which I find sales leadership always appreciates. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a seventh step, of course, is the implementation absolutely. and getting through that and then maintaining that relationship. And that's a great point because sometimes you discover things along the way. And I certainly remember in an implementation phase of discovering that the client's uh, infrastructure and all their operations in the United States, um, their computer infrastructure was ancient. <laughs> and it, it actually had, that had not been... I mean, it was so old, it had not been a question through the discovery process. Uh, you know, assumptions were made that they had yep. not the, the cutting edge or bleeding edge, but certainly just some level of basic, you know, internet and, and uh, program uh, availability. And that was not the case. And, um, and we were finding that we had to create a solution and literally we had to go back versions that weren't even being actively supported by software mm -hmm. companies anymore so that they could run the solution uh, and uh and that and through that experience that became discovery 
question. <laughs> those are always learning opportunities, aren't they, Lynn? <laughs> I can think of many of those situations I've had in my career as well. <laughs> so as we're talking about, um, I think it would be really helpful for our audience if you could give them a couple high-level tips on, you know, really tapping into, you know, what their needs are and how you can do a, a great presentation that just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I, there was um, there was one in particular that really stood out to me as I thought about this, and I think it, it goes back to the principle of uh, making sure you invest the time up front to understand your customer and understand what their needs are. Um, I like sports analogies, so my beloved Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks, Super Bowl winning quarterback, has been quoted as saying, the separation is in the preparation, and I really believe that in sales. When I am most at the top of my game, it's when I've spent the most amount of time preparing myself for whatever the engagement was. And I think of one situation where I was, uh, we had responded to an RFP, we'd been called in with two other companies, we were competing against AT&T and Sprint, who are the top-notch players in our industry. And um, we had given the customer a tour of our facilities so we could show them how good our technology was, go to a conference room to present to them. And because I had done my homework, I had captured on uh, some of the presentation a few comments from some of their sales leadership. And then I had also showed a video of their CEO talking about the importance of their culture uh, alongside a CEO of my company expressing the similar content about the culture and the importance of the people. In the middle of that presentation, the CTO for my customer stood up, stopped the presentation, said, Dennis, I've heard enough. I don't need to hear any more. Your company aligns perfectly with our organization. And he pointed to his director of contracting who was in the room and said, go get a contract done with these guys. 30 days later, I had a five-year deal with this organization, a national real estate company that was valued at about five to $6 million. That win reinforced to me the value of doing your homework and understanding what's important to the customer. And had I not done the time necessary to prepare for that presentation, I probably would have totally blown by and probably lost the business or at the very least been in the second or third position. But I understood with my research, how important it was to that customer and use that as a way to align what we were selling and what we were, our value prop was to them. And that really resonated with them enough to, the, to get the deal done. So that ever since that experience, I've made it a point of understanding that better with customers, especially large organizations and moving up to sea levels of leadership, understanding kind of what makes them tick and what's important to them is important to build that rapport and credibility with them in the process. Yeah, and that is so true. I, I know I've used that many times of just actively listening. You discover things that are important to them as an organization or things that they're really proud of. And then putting that back and making sure that you're framing everything in that same discussion and bringing up things that are important to their culture, their organization, that it just speaks to them and that they know that you get it. Agreed. That you get them. In fact, I think because listening is such a huge skill in sales, which I think oftentimes gets undervalued, I've oftentimes quoted what a customer has said to me in an email or as a follow-up meeting because I wanted them to understand I heard what you said, I understood what you said, and I'm taking action because I know it's important to you. And that goes a long way, I think, to really developing those long trusted advisor relationships that, that we're striving for in sales, <laughs> which to me is the epitome of, of the sales engagement is if you can – have that customer five, 10, 15 years down the road and you still have a, you know, a sales engagement or still have a relationship, that's important. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and people move around, they change just like you have and change directly. So, you know, when we're looking at this and now we're sort of made the big presentation 
And this is one of the great things about sales. And to your point, very at the beginning of sales training and sales experience for women, as you learn negotiation skills and uh, how to handle objections and identify those key decision factors. And those are, those are absolutely leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And they're skills that everyone needs. But in sales, when you're applying that, um, what would you say are, you know, some tips that you would share again, tips, tips, tips about um, uh, negotiating and finalizing deals and how to sort that out? I think um, number one is I have learned to take the emotion out of the process a little bit and be more objective about it. Um, early on, I would try to um, get to the end game, you know, get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Now I've realized it takes time to build that rapport with that customer and let them see how much you care. My dad used to say, he had a saying that they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's exemplified by just being willing to ask good, substantive, thoughtful questions that forces the customer to really articulate what it is that they need. Um, And I think through the process of doing that, you uncover the objections that they have or concerns that they have that you can address a little bit at a time. And that kind of goes back to that six step process that I talked about early, earlier is letting the, the, the process evolve over time to where ask, as you're asking good questions and getting input, you're being able to address some of those things so that they don't become an objection in the final stage or just as you're getting ready to sign the contract. You've kind of dealt with those along as you go. And if you need to marshal other resources or go back and regroup because you're not sure you know, exactly what you can do, you do that as, as the process unfolds. Um, and I think that's important because it also builds the credibility with the customer that you're really listening to them. And you're not waiting for that magical contract session with the legal <laughs> folks, which we've all been to, where you're, you're hammering out every point, in, you know, at the end of the process. Um, my experience tells me that if you if you address some of those things as you go through the process, there should be few to if any uh, objections at the end of the process because you've already adequately covered them throughout the whole sales uh, yeah. Continuum. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Um, so, one last question, I think. Let's. When you're, how do you once you're working with that client and you're developing, you've developed the relationship. Now you're maintaining it, and you have more opportunity to potentially sell them other services, sell into another division. Um, so, what are some, you know, hard-learned knowledge about? Uh, building that relationship, making it even stronger? Well, I would say the the process starts when the first sale begins, in my opinion. And if you're in it for the long haul, that's just the beginning of the race. So for me, the lack of follow through that I had in my earlier years became a real problem to customer continuity and to customer retention. And I found out that I had to consistently stay in contact with that customer um, and keep them engaged on what was going on. Um, in the early days, in fact, in order to do that, I would uh, I would cut out business clippings from the Puget Sound Business Journal and I'd send it off to my customer if I saw some good press coverage that they got or something that their competitor was doing that I thought they might want to learn. Uh, later on, I had a fax machine in my office and I would <laughs> fax articles all the time thinking I was so cool because I was using the latest and greatest technology, right? Now you can leverage LinkedIn and content on there to send your customer white papers and webinar content that you think is relevant to them. And it may not even be about their business or about their product. Maybe it's about something that you know your customer likes and enjoys. And so you send it to them, something as a personal 
um, because you know they personally are going to like it. All of those things go to building and and reinforcing that relationships that has started with the first sale or the first encounter. And I think really goes a long way to developing and building that relationship. And then they come to the point where they trust you enough to refer you to somebody else, whether it's in the organization or outside the organization. I would say later on in my career, most of my sales have come through referrals and through other customers that I've served. And that's the, the one of the greatest uh, benefits of being in sales is seeing that ongoing business that happens because you've taken care of somebody and they trust you enough to send you over to their peer at another company or at a higher up in their organization. And you're able to expand your influence and your impact by serving other customers because you, you treated them so well. That I think is one of the most rewarding things that keeps you in sales for the long term. Because then you realize it's not just about making a sale or making a paycheck, but it's about serving customers and building friendships along the way. And you just happen to conduct business through the process of doing that. So that's the way I have always looked at it. And I didn't do it well in the early years. I learned through a lot of trial and error and doing things the wrong way. And then I think follow up and follow through has been key for me in my career. And that was beat into my head early on in my sales career to follow up. Your word is your bond. You follow up on what you say you're going to do in a timely fashion. If you don't you take ownership, you apologize to the customer and you do better next time. And then sometimes, frankly, you know, especially in the tech world, projects don't always go as you hope. And so sometimes deployments don't work out as you would expect, or the delivery is late, or it uh, it doesn't plan, you know, come out the way your project plan was. So it's important to address those with the customer up front. Let's talk about it. Let's do a postmortem. How could we do better next time? And you move and, and move on and grow from that experience and take ownership for it not being. Um, you know, an outstanding customer experience, because at the end of the day, your customer has a lot of options and a lot of choices to choose you versus other companies, make them feel good about the choice that they made, even if it didn't turn out perfectly. And so that's, I always felt that that's the sales rep's responsibility to own that good, bad, or indifferent. You take the responsibility and you make it right if it's not right and you commit to do better and figure out what went wrong so you don't repeat those mistakes again. And so that has proven to be um, very beneficial for me and for the long-term relationships that I'm striving to build in sales and, and to this day have a blast doing. Yeah. Well, we all know that anybody who listens that I'm really a believer in um, that you absolutely have to do what you say you'll do. And I still recall an executive VP telling me upfront that the number one thing is follow-up and how many salespeople don't follow up. And they just they they just completely lose the opportunity, and you, no one is going to uh, criticize you for over communication. This is true. So especially um, when we have so many tools now to communicate, there's no excuse for it. It's just laziness on the sales rep yeah, part yeah. to not follow up. You, you know? know, and just and of course adding value, not to over communicate in the sense of just cluttering someone's inbox. Agreed. But with real value of like you know the status of how things are going, just a quick update. Um, you know, anticipating that, you know, something is being delayed because some parts aren't available, whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. um, and bringing solutions right then. This is what's what's happening. This is, you know, what we're going to do. We can work on this in the meantime so that we can, it will back, come back together. The two, mm -hmm. the, the two paths will rejoin on the main highway. So that's been great. And Dennis, thank you so much. And this is so great. Here we are, uh, all these years, and having and gone our different ways, and coming back together. This is terrific, and I really appreciate all your um, insights to unlocking um, this innovative tech sales. 
Thank you, Lynn. I really have enjoyed being with you today. It's been fun to catch up and reminisce. And uh, just, just to close, I, I welcome any listener who wants to reach out to me to discuss their, their sales questions further or engage on a more strategic level. And they can reach me at desullivan09 at gmail.com. And it was uh, my pleasure to be with you today. And we'll include that in the show notes, everybody. So this has been, as I said at the beginning, a great sales discussion. And if you have any ideas you would like to share, chime off in our comment section. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a question or would like to suggest topics for discussion, please email us at jointheconversation at petitequeen.com. And to stay current on all of our informative advice and breakthrough advantages, sign up for our weekly wisdoms. Thanks for listening.